There is no doubt the world is facing daunting challenges these days. Look around. We have reached a critical point in human history. Old leadership models, beliefs, and behaviors are no longer working. Centuries of emasculation have brought us to the brink. Men need help, and who better to help us but the women? This is well. The Women's Expressions on Leadership, Learning, and Liberty podcast show, and I'm its host, John Krotek. My guests are accomplished and intelligent women who share not only their personal stories, but give us valuable insights and perspectives on the leadership challenges men face. In a world still dominated primarily by men, these honest perspectives can be a genuine catalyst for male leadership improvement. By exploring possibilities and opportunities for self-improvement and transformation, we offer men hope in an ever-changing, fast-paced, complex world. Thank you for listening and for your support. Lead on. I am super excited to be here on this episode of the Well Podcast Show, the women's expressions on leadership, learning, and um, liberty, which is freedom. And I have a really great guest today. She is a serious leader. Uh, She's been able to do some incredible things in her life to change people's lives. Her name is Lonnie Hankins, and I'm I'm blessed to have her here. Before we get started, Lonnie, let me tell uh, the listeners and the watchers a little bit about, or the viewers, I should say, a little bit about you. Um, Lonnie served in the United States Army from 2011 to 2016, and she completed one combat deployment to Afghanistan. There, she served as a parts specialist and vehicle dispatcher for Calvary Regiment and was a member of her brigade's female engagement team, also known as FET for those who were in the service. Lonnie left the military following the birth of her daughter and returned to school to complete a master's degree in business and communication. After graduating, she founded Cruise Corner. I alluded to it just a second ago, but she'll tell us more about that. There, she shared her experiences in the Army and used podcasting, writing, and art to bring awareness to tough topics such as domestic violence, veteran suicide, military sexual violence, and other issues faced by service members and veterans. She is the author of four books, not one, four, and she continues to write. She has two memoirs and two poetry books relating to military service and to domestic violence. And when I when we talk about leadership, you know, we look it up in the dictionary. I think there's a picture of Lonnie in there. Um, she exemplifies all the best of the best. And, and again, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm just thrilled to have her here on this episode. Welcome, Lonnie. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're glad. I know you're out in Kansas. She's in the Midwest and um, they're doing some great things out there. She likes the peace and quiet and, and, uh, and she operates from that area and she does well. So, you know, let's, uh, Lonnie, tell us, We'll get right to it. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and what that was like. So I grew up in central California. So you're kind of the beach kid. You don't have a lot of, (laughs) I wouldn't say I had big goals. It was just a lot of just enjoying the outdoors and kind of 
day for day stuff, I guess. Like there wasn't a lot of like big dreaming in my childhood. I just enjoyed what I had at the time. And then as I got older, uh, kind of learned a little bit more about my own family in terms of like my dad. I didn't realize my dad was a Vietnam vet till I was probably over the age of 16 or 17 because it just wasn't talked about. And then uh, mm. I really got into Vietnam history, like just looking into I really enjoyed the military movies about it. And then I found out that my grandfathers were both in World War II. I had a great aunt that was in the Women's Army Corps. So I started kind of looking at the military a little bit more, but I didn't really think I would fit because I was always the art kid. So I ended up going to college and thought I was going to go fine arts or go work in a museum somewhere and just have that quiet time. And uh, it's somewhere towards the end of my associates. It just felt like art wasn't going to get me anywhere. I really wanted out of my hometown. Felt kind of like a dead end. It's kind of poor on the central coast in certain areas and uh, relies a lot on agriculture. And I knew I wasn't going into agriculture. So it's like, okay, how am I going to get out of here? So I had friends going to the military and it was like, oh, that looks like a quick ticket out. So I'll do that. And then I'll try to figure out what I want to do with my life and when I grow up. So uh, there was a lot of floating around in my childhood because I really didn't know what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. All my friends did, but I was just like, <laughs> just going surfing and killing time. <laughs> so. Yeah, the California, what's that? The, yeah, California living, you know, so. <laughs> It's kind of interesting that your dad, who I, I suspect he was an army. Yes. Veteran. He was drafted. Uh, yeah. I kind of find that interesting that he kept it. I mean, I do and I don't. And, you know, maybe he didn't want to taint anything. But, you know, you come from a long line of veterans, you know, people who serve the country. So, I, you know, I'm thinking some kind of service is getting solidified early on, even though you're enjoying the California living lifestyle, there's still a, a sense of service there somewhere. Am I right? Yeah, but nobody talked about it. So the way I understood military service was it was something you did for your country. You did your time and then you didn't really brag about it. It was just what you were supposed to do as an American. Like that just seemed like what my grandfathers had instilled in them. They were farm boys. They came out of Minnesota and Arkansas um, and my dad was out of Arkansas originally. And so it was just this thing that you did as a man. And then they didn't talk about it because it was just like, it's just what you do. It's what everybody should be doing. So it's like, it just was never mentioned. That's yeah. So those guys were your role models, those men, your dad and sure. your, my your dad. Parents. Sure. I was very close. I was a daddy's girl. So uh, that's cool. You know, I mean, I wish we had more daddy's girls, you know, out there. And I'm sure we do. But so you're hanging out in California. You saw the army is the ticket out. And then eventually somewhere in that army journey, you find yourself in a combat zone. Were you thinking, gosh, I wasn't expecting this. What was going on in your head when you when you deployed? The way they kind of chalked up in basic was like, oh, we're pulling out of the Middle East. Nobody's going over there anymore. So I thought leaving basic training like I'm not going to probably go anywhere. That was part of the reason why I served. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see other places. It was like, I guess I'm probably just going to get stuck somewhere on a base in the United States. And, uh, and I got Fort Riley. So I was just sitting in Kansas. And the day I showed up to in process, like, oh, by the way, 
you're on a road getting ready to go to Afghanistan. And I hadn't even checked into the base yet. So I, it was like, okay, <laughs> welcome wow. to the real army. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, things like that happen in the army, don't they? Yeah. So you hit the ground running. <laughs> so. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so you get there, you in process. How long was it before you found yourself in the mountains of Afghanistan? I think I was in process by the end of August 2011, and we were sending people as early as, I want to say, April of the next year. So I was in Afghanistan by May of 2012. So I wasn't at Riley for even a full year before I was already (laughs) shipping out. Yeah, and you're probably sitting there going, holy cow, how did I get here? So so you're in Afghanistan, you know, without going you know too deep you know into anything that might be sensitive you know what was going on there what did you see oh uh, well I was on the fob most of the time just because of the fact that I was supply and I was a gate guard ECP so the closest I got to being out of it was sitting on the fence line just watching nothing happen <laughs> and so it was always the waiting for all the things you had been trained for all the stuff you said they tell you you're gonna see And so you're just a sitting duck in the middle of nowhere. It was just this dirt hole we sat in. There was nothing to look at. And so it was a lot of just hurry up and wait. It seemed like for nine months, we didn't, our fob didn't have any issues as far as I can remember. So it was just a lot of that sitting in anticipation and the stuff that never comes. And so you kind of go home going like, okay, like you're still waiting for it because you spent all this time training for these things that happen and they don't. And so I think our biggest issues on that fob was people having too much free time or getting bored because then you started getting into people fighting with each other, people getting into behavior that's just like soldier on soldier issues, violence. And so it was a different side of what I expected going into a combat zone. It seemed like the bigger issue was what was happening inside the gates than outside of it. So can't say I paid a lot of attention to what our actual mission was because there was just so much that always going on around us. Yeah, it sounds like the endless cigarette butt police call. You know, yeah. and after after a while, after scouring over the field a hundred times, it's like pretty soon you start getting antsy. Is yeah. is that where you met uh Cruz? Uh Cruz was one of our mechanics. So we he came into the unit shortly after I had him processed. So we knew each other because we were in the same platoon, but we got to know each other better being on deployment because we were usually locked in a guard shack with each other for eight hours a day. So you get to know people pretty well out there. Where was he from? uh, Ohio. Hmm. Interesting. So, so there you are together, you know, and I know how some of those conversations, I never, I never went to combat myself, but I, I can remember being on guard duty, even in peacetime situation. And yeah, you're right. There's like nothing to do. And there you have no real enemy when you're in training, you think you yeah. do. So, uh, you know, it, it's just endless time and endless time and endless time. It gives you a lot of time to think about um, important things sometimes as well. So you did a one year deployment there. It was nine months, nine months. Can you think of any one instance um, when you were there where you went, gosh, I am really here and this is a war. Did you see anything that that touched you like that? I think within, I think, a month or two of us being there, someone from our brigade was killed in action. And I think that because you have stuff like Facebook available to you, 
You have the community pages that the brigade wives usually put up or the mm-hmm. units. And so when someone is either killed in action or something happens to them and they die overseas, there will be a memorial that gets put up on Facebook once you go through the combo blackout and everybody's notified. And, you know, going on Facebook and seeing like by pictures and stuff, it becomes very real. Like this is somebody that's out here with me that is gone. And so that first person that we lost, it was like, wow, this is real. Like uh, you kind of hear tales from previous deployments with your unit where it's like, oh, nothing happened. They had just gone to Iraq like a year or so prior. And they're like, we didn't do anything. (laughs) We sat there, nothing happened, didn't lose anybody. So you get in your mindset like, oh, okay, we're going to be fine. This is probably just going to be a really long, not so fun vacation (laughs) out there. And then we, we ended up losing anywhere from half a dozen or more people during the nine months we were there. So each one, it just became more solidified that like we are here and this is a war and things are happening outside the fence, whether we're seeing it or not. Yeah. So you did see people roll out that never came back. So even though you, you all had no direct contact, some of you did, and it was a reality and it was a harsh, stark reality. And of course, like we just said, it makes you reflect. So sorry about your buddies that, uh, that, you know, paid the highest price really mean that. Um, and so after nine months, thankfully you survived, you know, you have a daughter, Tell us what's going on there. Oh, I had her when I was in my last year of the reserves. And so uh, I ended up getting out so I could spend more time with her and take care of her. And so I ended up doing the single mom thing for a while. And so it's just kind of been, uh, she was around when I was using my GI bill. She was there for, I was pregnant during my bachelor degree. And then she was, I think, one when I went back to school to work on my master's. So and she just started kindergarten a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know where the time went. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon she'll be 18 and walking down the aisle or something driving like that. Driving me around. <laughs> got, got, like, yeah, driving this daisy. But, um, you know, so, it's, well, you know, single mo- motherhood is not, you know, easy. I married a single, not I married a double mother, I guess. She had two kids and um, from a previous marriage. And I know what she was on her own for a while. But anyhow, so you decide you go back to school. You have a daughter. You're doing the single mother lifestyle. So probably not like California living, but but you're making it happen. And then cruise. Something happens to this soldier, and which changes the direction of your life. What what was going on? So cruise actually got out a couple months before I did, and uh, he was. I don't remember what discharge it was, but he is having some issues that were clear when we were deployed. That was more uh, seemed family based and like he just had a lot going on. And so he got out. And once he went back home to Ohio, a lot of us lost contact with him. So nobody could really buddy him the way that we had been to kind of get him through the days while he was in. And he ended up committing suicide eventually. And it was about a little less than a month before I ETSed. And since I went straight from active into reserve, it was just, you just keep doing your regimen. You just keep doing your job. And so it was once I got out of the reserve and I had a lot of time to think about stuff, finally, then it started kind of dawning on me what was happening. Cause by then we had had a few other people from our squadron that had committed suicide as well. And so in like a 
three or four year period, I think we lost five people to suicide. And so it was when I got to that overthinking period as a civilian of being able to actually go back and just look it all over, have the time to do so that, uh, and like going to school, when you're working on your master's, you're writing all the time, doing thesis stuff all the time. And they, uh, my professors encouraged a lot of writing on the military. They wanted my experience and perspective on stuff. And so I started kind of tapping back into that old life kind of stuff that I felt like I left behind. And so it kind of just brought back some memories and it just, I felt really bad that I couldn't have done more for him and for some of the other people we lost. And so that's why I started working towards like a blog. It was like, I got to get people to understand that veteran suicide is happening because people seem to be more uh, paying more attention to the numbers that are combat related or what's happening overseas. And they didn't seem to understand how high the numbers were once people came back. And so I felt like to not just process losing a really good friend, but to do the only thing I felt I could do at that point, since he was already gone, was to I'm going to bring a light to this so that this doesn't keep happening to people and people can reach out or do all the things that maybe he felt that he couldn't do. That's well, that's great. I mean, that's fantastic. Working. Sorry about him. And that's tough. You know, you're doing like combat, you know, suicides are a stark, harsh reality about the after effects of war. And we've read so much about 22 a day and some even suggest it may even be higher. Um, we really don't know, but we know that it's, you know, one is too many, especially um, if it could have been prevented, which most can be just by outreach. And that's why Cruise Corner is, is so important. Tell us a little bit about your mission, Lonnie, and then tell us about some of your success stories. For me, the real goal with Cruise Corner was because of serving in a cavalry unit, most of the people I served with were men. And so I understood that the men didn't feel like they could show their emotions. They didn't feel like they could speak up. They didn't feel like they could ask for help. And I was always treated as, okay, you're a female. You're allowed to cry. We expect you to complain. We kind of already have this preconceived idea of how you're going to act. And so I figured if people are going to expect me to be emotional or complain or whatever, I will do it on behalf of the people that feel like they can't. And so Cruise Corner really became this place of not just trying to talk from a female perspective. It was just trying to talk from a service member's perspective. I didn't want people to see it as a genderized thing. I wanted them to just understand that uh, regardless of what branch you're in or what rank you were, or what gender or any of these things that uh, although we have different experiences in the military, a lot of us suffer the same. And I wanted to start sharing some uh, stories, not just from myself, but other people I connected once I started the podcast to give people a better idea of why we struggle here and why people are committing suicide. Because I saw that the numbers that people kind of expect your suicides to be linked to the ones that saw combat and certain things and your infantry guys. And you start seeing that it's a lot of your support roles. It's these people that are supporting in the war that are still committing suicide. And so it's like, this idea of, well, what do they have to kill themselves over? And so I wanted to bring these stories to show people that things like MST happen, military sexual trauma, things like domestic violence, soldier on soldier stuff, uh, things like just depression, anxiety, like all these different things that exist that are not combat related, break people down the same way. 
you still have people dealing with PTSD from a host of things that are not combat related. And so I just really wanted the goal of Cruise Corner to just be the average soldier story or the average service member story so that civilians could understand a little bit more of where we're coming from, where we need help, and just kind of bridge that communication gap that I felt like was happening between the two. That's fantastic. You know, that when we, like I said earlier, you know, when we talk about leadership, it takes a real leader with real courage and a real commitment to wanting to help others. And that, that sets some of us apart. doesn't make us better. It just makes us um, different and it's okay to be different, you know? So can you tell us about one of your success stories or maybe two with Cruise Corner that you think, you know, um, that, that make you realize that the work that you're doing is worthwhile? Because I know it can get hard in those trenches and it can get lonely and you think that you're not making uh, a difference, but those success stories are what makes us go on. Yeah, definitely. Is the success stories are what kept me going because there were a number of times where I felt like, uh, I was like, what am I doing this for? Because I was putting a lot of personal stuff out there and there are people that aren't going to take it well. You are going to get criticism for sharing your story and uh, kind of get played as like, oh, you're just being a victim. And so there were times where I wanted to quit, but then I would have people hit me up and I had someone message me on Facebook one time. It was actually someone I had served with in AIT. And she said, because I found your blog, I decided to not kill myself because I realized I wasn't by myself. And what I was feeling was in an essence normal, that it wasn't just I'm broken. This is that this is all part of a process of healing and grief and all that. And uh, I've had mothers reach out and say, I read your book and I understand why my son is the way that he is or why a spouse came back and doesn't talk to me as much anymore, or doesn't talk about it when I try to get them to. And so I had a lot of families that reached out and they're like, because of what you said, I can kind of gauge this person that I know that's in the military a little better, or I know how to talk to them now. I know how to approach this and, uh, to get them to just open up or to maybe just get them the support they might need and not to feel like someone's hovering over them or they're being forced into anything. And so those are the biggest ones of people that turned around and said that either it opened up a door of communication for a family member or the people that said it just straight up made them choose life. Awesome, Lonnie. That's freaking incredible, you know. Yeah. What would we, we say in the army? Outstanding, you know, but even, <laughs> but even with, we you know, with more emphasis, you know, I, you know, I know that it can also, it can get um, harrowing for the person that's doing that kind of work. It's around those kinds of emotional uh, challenges. And I know that one thing that you do is right. Is there a poem that you could share with us? It's on a shelf nearby that you can I read. I don't have, I have books, but I don't, they're all scattered around. I don't have any. I was just thinking, you know, maybe you could pull one out that would, that would like hit it, the nail on the head. I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, as another writer, you know, um, but that, that's okay. So, you know, other than writing and those kinds of things and, you know, taking care of your daughter, what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself? Art is a big thing for me. After I got out of the military, I kind of returned back to those roots of being an artist before the military. And it's offered another perspective and dimension kind of for sharing the story of things I've dealt with throughout my life or throughout my military career, because some people don't like to read. I mean, <laughs> they don't want to read. Some people don't have the time to listen to a podcast. Sometimes it's just easier to put the emotion out on a painting and let people just kind of decipher it for themselves 
or just read the story as they think it is. And so it just offered this other angle of telling a story while at the same time, like I always say artist therapy, because you're just getting it out. It's just another way of, if you can't find the words, art for me is that way of just putting it all out there without having to figure out what to say. Well, thanks for sharing that. You know, so the, so you've mentioned men a couple of times and, um, you know, your dad and your grandparent, your grandfather's growing up and then, you know, that you served primarily with men and, and then you're a single mother. So, you know, your perspective is, is needed. You know, what do you, what do you see? Of course, it could be a general answer, but what do you see in men these days? And, and, and what do you think men can do? to be better. I just look at how men are now compared to like how my dad was. And it it's changed so much. Cause I really saw my dad as like the embodiment of like what a man was. He took care of his family, uh, but he was a great support system and just a great guy. Everybody loved him. And then I kind of just being a single mom, I saw what men don't do now. Like they don't step up sometimes they don't support uh, gets a little selfish with stuff where it's like, you know, kids sometimes don't come at the best time. And for like someone like me, you choose to make the sacrifice and be there for them and do what you got to do. And for the man, it was like, I don't want to do it. So they go away. And so I always thought of my dad, like my dad would never do that. My dad would take responsibility, man up and do the stuff. And so, and that was kind of, built also by the military it was always that idea of manning up and you own it and you take responsibility for anything you might have caused and you just get through it and I just didn't see it outside as a civilian where it just seemed like a lot of the men I was meeting especially ones that were younger than me like their 20s uh, late teens it just seemed like there was a lot of just complaining I don't have to do this I'm not going to do this like like it just everything seems so different from what I understood my dad as being a man. And it's kind of hard to explain, but it just seemed like uh, it was very clear. The generation generational divide was like there. <laughs> no, no. Thanks for sharing that. Cause that is important. And, you know, we look around today and we had a discussion before we went live with the show, Lonnie and I, we were talking about the leadership crisis that we see everywhere. And, and of course, you know, we can say, well, it's a man's world. And some people make fun of that. But there's there's a lot of men in leadership positions that don't seem to be rising to the occasion at all levels. And, you know, yours at the very basic level. Um, I don't know that man who is the father of your child, but he's missing so much. Uh, and, and if you all had differences, that's one thing. But the, the daughter is the one that may... Um, may have an issue with it later on. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that with your tender love and the way you, the way you are and the way you hold yourself, that she's going to be fine. But still though, there's still somebody missing out on that. And, you know, you, you talked about writing and art. Tell us about the books. You, you have four. When I first met you several years ago, I think you only had one. So you've been, you have been busy. Tell us about those books. Uh, so I wrote the the two memoirs I have. I wrote sort of at the same time. They were just pieced together from journals I had. And the first one that released was Bottled Away. And that was just covering my time in service. It talked about just what it was like, not just 
as a woman in the military, but just the military experience. And when we get out and that lack of purpose, some of us feel and kind of being left to just try to get through the VA system and the, how tedious some stuff is and how you don't always let go of what you were taught. It's hard to just like integrate back into this old life, like this world, the civilian world moved on while you were in the military. It just kept going. And then you just come back and insert yourself in it wherever. And it's a, it's a weird feeling. And the purpose of that book was to just kind of get people to understand where we're coming from and where that struggle is to transition over from service member to civilian. And, uh, and then the second memoir was written from journals because of when I was pregnant with my daughter and shortly after she was born, I dealt with the domestic violence situation. And so for me, what I always heard from people when I would kind of hint at there being some abuse in my past was always, well, you were in the military, so you should have dealt with it or that should have never happened. (laughs) And so I saw an opportunity to show that, you know, even as a soldier, I still experience life. It doesn't keep me from experiencing things that civilians will uh, experience. It doesn't make you immune to things like violence. It doesn't, my training was never against people I loved. I learned to train against the enemy, a common enemy. So it wasn't, my training didn't really always feel like it fit in to deal with something like abuse in the home. And so I knew domestic violence was a big thing in the military as well. And so I just wanted to share that story of what, uh, how your service can help and hinder you in that situation and to kind of change people's perspective of what they believe you should or should not be able to deal with in life or what you can and can't deal with in life just because you were in the military. Right. That's awesome. And then, and then the other two books are poetry books. They're poetry books. And so the first one that came out was East Pain, and it was meant to kind of uh, partner with the memoir that was about the domestic violence, which was called The Gaslit Heart. And it's just the poetic version of that book. So it's just a kind of a short form version of it, but it's just the poems I wrote during that time to explain the loneliness and dealing with someone that is uh, diagnosed with narcissism and personality disorder and what uh, emotional abuse does to you and how just you're changed by how another person's reaction is. It talks about gaslighting and then, uh, the second poetry book was Bunny, and that one is supposed to pair with Bottled Away. And again, it's just the poetic version of my military service. So it's broken up into like six or seven sections that covers everything from veteran suicide transition, military sexual trauma, deployment, and uh, the VA health system. So it's just kind you, of you got short. you got to read one. You, you, come on, let's. I wish I had one. <laughs> No, I get it. I, I, I you know, I, I say I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do because I'm a poet, too. And, you know, some of the stuff that I've been involved with. But but that's fantastic. You know, and again, we talk about leadership and we talk about courage. And anytime you can wear your emotions and words on paper for the entire world to see, that's not easy. And so no, I give you great credit for that. And, and I know that there's a mantra somewhere in that head of yours and in that heart. What's your mantra? What do you live by every day? Do you have a saying or some type of a, a, a credo that you live by? What, what would it be, Lonnie? Really, it's, I mean, it's just that keep on keeping on aspect of life. It's like, 
just keep pushing. Like, uh, my family's finished. Our whole idea is Sisu, which is just the courage and tenacity to just in the grit to just keep going no matter what life throws at you. So it's just that one finished word that we kind of live by. But uh, yeah, it's just that idea of like, you can get knocked down, but you better get up and keep going forward. Is I best love you that. Can. I love it. You know, so I know that, you know, Cruise Corner can always use funds because uh, it does take monies, even though it's a nonprofit, you're doing some incredible work. How can people uh, that are listening contribute to what you're doing there at Cruise Corner? Really, the way people have been doing it now is just by helping me circulate those books. That's the best way because all the purchases that go from the book that I actually get back, unfortunately, Amazon takes a lot of my book sales. But uh, I always try to turn that money that I get from the books back into stuff that's always paid for, like podcast equipment or just uh, to keep getting books. I usually donate. I've donated to homeless veterans I try to get them to other organizations that do either conventions or retreats, especially for like women veterans. And so a lot of times it's just the funds that come from those books are what help me the most because it helps me just circulate those. So more people can learn about the military life, at least from one perspective. I love that. You know, so where, you know, I know you have a website where, and I know that information's on there. What's, what's, we'll provide the link to that, but where is that? What's the URL for that? So I just use the, uh, because I'm so based now on the book side of stuff is that I just have an author page that is set up through Amazon. So it's just going to be a direct link to Amazon to see my author page with it. That connects everybody to all the books that are out there. Fantastic. So you, and you will provide that. So if somebody wants to contact you directly, do you have a, a email address they can reach you at? The easiest way to get a hold of me nowadays is just my Cruise Corner Instagram, which is just K R U S E underscore corner. And I'm pretty, I'm a lot better at checking my DMs and my email <laughs> than you used to be, right? Oh, I get yeah. it. So, well, great. So, I mean, you provided a lot of useful information. And I, I just, um, I can't say enough about, you know, you as a person and the things that you've done to impact people's lives. Cause I know we've had, um, I know that you were on a previous podcast show of mine, Strata Combat Radio and shared with us your story. Then it was more, more geared towards, they're both geared towards you, but this one is an effort to try to um, offer some advice to men out there through your story. It doesn't necessarily have to be finger pointing and those kinds of things all the time. Sometimes it's just the way you carry yourself. And you're brave. I appreciate you. Um, I really appreciate your service. And I really offer you my sincerest um, thoughts and prayers for those that you have lost. And uh, if there's anything we can do for you, it, you know, let me know because I'm here for you as well. And I really would like to think about something we could do in a poetry. Um, oh, for sure. Maybe an initiative. You know, you got me thinking here. I've got an idea for one called Battle Cry. <laughs> We might be able to do something. But anyhow, Lonnie, any final thoughts you'd like to say to the men out there that may be still listening? And I hope you are. Oh, man, I just I wish men could change the idea that only men could be in the leadership way and that women don't have much to contribute, because really, like, I wish I had had male mentors like in the military. And I always felt like they they saw us as a weak link and we have so much to offer. So I just wish men would stop seeing this idea of 
men are leaders and then the women are just, you know, the follower or just not involved at all. And just realize that we all have something to contribute if we work together on that. You can accomplish so much more. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. And, you know, and so I'm going to say it right here. Quit being the weak link, you guys. You know, step up, fill those roles, be responsible. You know, if you make a decision, live with the consequences. Don't be the weak link. Thank you, Lonnie. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Well. Without you, we don't exist. There is no show. We hope the men who joined us today learned some valuable tips to improve and not be ashamed to use them. Be the change, men. Set the example. Keep going. And for the women leaders out there, keep creating and keep helping us men to become even better men, more effective leaders. Thank you. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and lead.